Today we're going to look at suffering. This morning we're going to explore suffering and what Christ has to say to us and be encouraged and challenged. Now broadly speaking, people fit into two different categories when it comes to suffering and I'm generalising here. And the two categories are people who are suffering at the moment and people who aren't but will suffer in the future. I mean, those basically are the two categories for everyone. For suffering looks very different to the oncologist who gives a diagnosis than for the mother who he's just told that she has six months to live and she has young children. It's very different, isn't it? Same diagnosis, the same news, but very different reactions. You see, someone distant from suffering will have their ears on differently this morning than for someone who is going in the midst of suffering. And that suffering might be pushback for being a Christian. It might be a health issue. It might be a fractured or broken relationship. It might be financial struggles. There's different types of suffering. And so with this in mind, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, some of us are in challenging places when it comes to suffering. And and some of us, Lord, know people, our family or friends, that are really going through difficult places. So we pray that as we come to your word, that your spirit will speak words of life, encouragement and challenge. In Jesus' name, amen. Now many here will have heard of Joni Erickson Tata. As a teenager, she suffered a terrible accident when diving into shallow water. And we're going to explore some things that she says about suffering. But before we do, here's an introduction to Joni in her own words. I was 17 years old, athletic, took a dive and bang, I can't use my hands, I can't move, my legs, everything's paralyzed. I'm a quadriplegic. The doctor announced that I had severed my spinal cord at the fourth cervical level, that I'd never use my hands or my legs for the rest of my life, and he walked out of the door. I can't live like this. And I just sank into depression. A Christian friend shared with me, Johnny, God permits what he hates to accomplish that which he loves. Not sure if you caught all that. But at the end, she said, God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Do you think that's true? Do you think God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves in our lives? One of Joni Erickson's books is called A Spectacle of Glory. And the title comes from the Bible passage where Moses is tending his sheep out in the wilderness. And you may remember the story. We had it read briefly before. Moses is tending his father-in-law's sheep when he sees a bush that is burning but is not consumed. It won't burn up. And so Moses is curious, and he goes across to look at this bush, this burning bush, and to his surprise, he sees the glory of God. And Joni makes this connection with that story of Moses and the burning bush, and I quote from Joni, Christians who suffer and suffer greatly, yet graciously, cause the same curious response. We are to the world a strange sight. We are a spectacle of glory, like flaming bushes unconsumed, causing onlookers to ask, just like Moses, why is this bush not burnt up? Christians who suffer with an uncomplaining spirit get people thinking seriously about God. It makes people curious about the Lord, like, why doesn't this person get angry with God? 
What's so great about the God of the Bible that this suffering person finds so captivating? Why isn't she resentful? I simply must find out. It's really interesting, isn't it? And so we have two insights from someone that has lived 60 plus years with acute suffering. The two insights are this. God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And Christians who suffer well are a powerful witness to God and his love. Now we're going to come back to these two insights later on, but we're going to turn now to our passage in 1 Peter and pick up where we left off a couple of weeks ago. And to do that, we're going to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. That last quote was from Isaiah 53. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Now, the last time we were in 1 Peter, we touched on this verse. And you may remember that we saw that the Bible is clear. No Christian is exempt from suffering at some level. Why? Because we are all called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And there are amazing benefits, aren't there, for following in the footsteps of Jesus. We have free access to our Heavenly Father. We have the delight of knowing Jesus as our Master, but also our friend. And we have the transforming and empowering presence of the Holy Spirit in us. And there are more benefits of this as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. However, it also means that there are times when we will suffer. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, this is counter to what we are conditioned to accept. You see, compared to the most of the rest of the world, we New Zealanders are blessed with benefit after benefit, aren't we? We live in a wonderful country. So much so that most Kiwis expect that the good life is their basic right. Most Kiwis expect to be comfortable, to have a life of convenience, and to have a life that is painless. Most Kiwis consider that's their due. And so if any of these are lacking, then there's a sense that there is something desperately wrong. Now this secular attitude has crept into the church as well, where we expect that if we attend church and if we believe in Jesus, then God will also make our lives comfortable, convenient and painless. And whether we put this in words or it's just something in the back of the mind, many Christians believe this. They believe that if they promise to attend church and believe in Christ, then God is compelled to bless them. So that if any discomfort does come into their life, it's mild and it's temporary. A lot of Christians believe that. They may not be able to articulate it. Maybe they wouldn't dare to say it to God, but that's what they believe. If I go to church, keep my nose clean, believe, then my life will be comfortable and painless. If any discomfort does come into my life, it'll be mild and it will be gone quickly. However, that's not what the Bible says. 1 Peter is clear. 
we are called to follow in the steps of Jesus and because he suffered, even when he did no wrong, there will be times when we will suffer even if we do no wrong. And the Bible calls us to suffer well, to follow the example of Jesus, that as Christians we shouldn't moan and groan, kick or scream, but be like Christ who was like this in verse 23. This is the example. When they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That is our example. And here we see on the cross that Christ suffered an incredible amount, but he suffered well. He entrusted himself to his heavenly Father. Even when he cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ still entrusted himself. He still hoped. He still clung to his heavenly Father. And isn't it interesting? Often when we suffer, we feel abandoned by God. We cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if Jesus had that cry of his heart when he was on the cross, it's only natural for Christians to feel abandoned. However, that's when faith kicks in. You see, Satan will use our suffering to his advantage. He will try and stir the pot. He will whisper in our ear, if God really loved you, he would take away your pain. Or if God really loved you, he would restore that broken relationship. Or Satan might whisper, if God really loved you, he would help you sort out your finances. However, this is when our faith is to kick in. This is when we cling to Jesus. This is when we refuse to accept the lies of the devil. Instead, we look to Psalm 63 verse 8. My soul clings to you. When we suffer, we say, my soul clings to you, and by faith we say, your right hand upholds me. Or Psalm 27, by faith, when we're suffering, we say, I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart, and wait for the Lord. Now, it's not only that Jesus suffered for us to leave us an example. It's not like Jesus suffered and said, well, you need to suffer for suffering's sake. No, Jesus suffered for a great purpose. There was a reason for Jesus to suffer. Now, some people think that Jesus suffered due to unfortunate circumstances, that he was the, in the wrong place at the wrong time. Some people think that Satan outwitted Jesus or that the devil is more powerful than God. But no, not at all. Jesus was intentional about his suffering. It was for a purpose, and that purpose was to benefit us. And we see the benefits that his suffering caused. His suffering wasn't wasted. We see the benefits of his suffering in the next couple of verses as we come to the end of chapter 2. See if you can pick up the reasons why Jesus suffered for us. Verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. 
There's a lot in here, so let's unpack it. Now, what's happening in these verses, what we see clearly is how much trouble we were in and then what it cost for Jesus to set us free. So how much trouble we were in and how much it cost to set us free. Three things. First of all, the first trouble that we are in is that we are held in the iron grip of sin because he bore our sins on the tree, on the cross. Now what's sin? Now in the original language, in the Greek, sin is is the word hamatia. Now hamatia is actually an archery term, an ancient Greek archery term for missing the mark. And so you can imagine getting your bow and arrow and aiming for a bullseye and letting it go and you miss and all your friends cry out, Hamatia! You missed! <laughs> it can also mean being lost. And so, you know, you can be wandering around completely lost. Hamatia, I'm lost. It's really interesting, isn't it? And so you'll often hear me use the phrase sin missing the mark, because that's what it is. And so when we go back to Adam and Eve, there in the garden, Remember, they disobeyed God's instructions, and the instructions were not to eat from the fruit of two particular trees, and they ate from one of the trees, and they were rebelling against God's word. So their disobedience and their rebellion amounted to them missing the mark. Sin took hold of them with an iron grip, and that sin was passed on and took grip of their children and their grandchildren and all through humanity until us. However, the good news of the gospel is that Christ bore our sins. He bore our sins so that we could have life, eternal life. Isn't that wonderful? Christ's suffering was not in vain because he bore our sins so that we could be free and have life, eternal life. And so uh, Isaiah 53, now I'm convinced that Peter had Isaiah 53 open because he quotes it at least three times in these couple of verses. And so let's see what Isaiah 53 tells us about what Jesus did on the cross when it comes to our sin. And we see this in verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Transgressions is another word for sin. And then we carry on. He was crushed for our iniquities. Iniquities are another word for our sin. And here we come to the good news of the gospel. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. So he bore our sins so that we can be free from sin and have eternal life. And then Isaiah 53 finishes, by his wounds we are healed. And this by his wounds we are healed is actually how Peter finishes his verse 24. He finishes his verse 24 by saying, by his wounds you have been healed. And this is the second benefit that Christ's suffering brought for us on the cross. You see, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, this sin caused a mortal wound. Remember God said that they would die if they ate from the fruit, but they didn't fall over and die right at that moment? God allowed them to live out their natural life first. What a wonderful, generous God we have. However, they were mortally wounded in a such way that they would physically die. But they were also wounded spiritually as well, so that they were spiritually dead. And these are the wounds that we need healing from. 
those mortal wounds. And so because Christ died to heal our wounds, then we find that instead of spiritually being dead, the moment we accept Christ into our life, spiritually we become alive. And also the physical wound of death. When we die physically, we know that that will not last forever, that when Jesus comes again, we will physically be raised again. Jesus died not only to bear our sins, but to heal us from the mortal wound, to give us spiritual life as well as physical life. Christ's suffering was not in vain. And then we have our third purpose as well. If we carry on with verse 25, we'll see this third benefit. So we're in Peter, chapter 2, verse 25. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. And so one of the images that, that the Bible uses to describe us and folk before they are Christians is sheep that are astray from the shepherd. Notice how Isaiah 53 picks this up. We all like sheep, this is verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. And see how those two verses dovetail in? Can you see why I think uh, Peter had uh, Isaiah 53 open as he was writing this? Because he's really just riffing off Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53 tells us not only have we sheep that have gone astray, and not only that we are brought back, but why? Because God laid upon Jesus our sin, our iniquity. And that has been what the reason why we can come back as straying sheep that stray no more, coming into the arms of the good and the great shepherd, the overseer of our souls. And so you can you see the purpose of Christ's suffering? Three things. He bore our sins so that we might have life. He healed our wounds, our mortal wounds that led to spiritual and physical death. They are healed. And thirdly, he opened the way. His suffering opened the way so that we can return to the good the great and loving shepherd. And this has tremendous implications for us as we suffer. You see, our suffering, whether it be pushed back because we're Christians, and this was what was happening in 1 Peter. The 1 Peter, they were getting a lot of persecution for being Christians. And Peter was saying, well, if you suffer, it is because of a purpose. Now, we might not have that suffering. Our suffering might be illness, broken relationships, financial reverses. There are various ways in which we suffer. But the Bible gives us hope that our suffering can be drawn up into the suffering of Christ. And as long as we look to Jesus, our suffering is never wasted. As long as we trust God and cling to Jesus. Now I want to turn to some practical implications. Remember the two insights that Joni gave us about suffering. What were the two insights? Well, let's just build on those. And the first insight was this. God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. So when we're in the middle of suffering, and we know that Christ suffered for us, that's wonderful. But what are some insights to help us come to terms with that? Well, this is the first one. God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Joni writes that one time she was visiting Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris, and this was a good number of years ago, and it was before the recent fire. 
Now, she happened to visit this cathedral after it had finished a major renovation. And so for nearly a thousand years, that cathedral has stood in Paris, and all the soot and grime of the city had built up on the external carvings and the wonderful detail. However, they decided to renovate, so they brought in scaffolding, and then they sandblasted the exterior and worked hard for over 12 months. And Joni happened to be there just after they had finished. And there was a display showing the before and after photos. And Joni was amazed at the change. The stunning transformation from the grimy, hard-to-see ancient stones to the blockwork and carvings, golden and bright, looking most brand new, was stunning. It was like a completely different cathedral. Now, reflecting on this, this is what Joni writes, and I'll quote, I can't help but consider that God uses suffering to sandblast you and me. There's nothing like real hardship to strip off the veneer in which you and I so carefully cloak ourselves. Heartache and physical pain reach below the superficial places of our lives. They strip away years of accumulated indifference, and neglect. When pain and problems press up against a holy God, suffering can't help but strip away years of dirt. Affliction has a way of jackhammering our character, shaking us up and loosening our grip on everything we hold tightly. But the beauty of being stripped down to the basics, of being sandblasted until we reach a place where we feel helpless and empty, The beauty of this is that God can fill us with himself. When pride and pettiness has been removed, God can fill us with Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amazing testimony, isn't it? God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. God's purpose in suffering is to transform you and I to be more like Jesus. The second purpose goes back to Joni's observation that Christians who suffer well are a tremendous witness to God's love. Why? Because they're like a burning bush, not consumed. People see Christians who suffer greatly, but suffer well, and when they do, they become curious to why they are not crushed or destroyed or bitter or broken. Now, one time, a friend was helping Joni when she was a speaker at a conference, And this conference was in a large hotel. Now, in this hotel, there were a number of business people as well as the general public, not just those coming to the conference. And her friends writes this. We were trying to get Joni into the lift to go down to the conference room to speak. And the place was full of business people and the general public. And they were trying hard not to look at Joni because it's hard to confront suffering in such a way. And there she was, frail in a wheelchair, with her calipers. However, when we got into the lift, the people in the lift couldn't look much else. And as we were going down in the lift, I said to Joni, what are you going to do when we get to the conference room? And Joni said, well, I'm going to sing. And so Joni decided she would practice in the lift. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, she sang. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe this far, and grace will lead me home. 
And a friend writes, I looked around at the men and some were trying to hide behind their newspapers and others didn't know which way to look. But they all had a tear coming down their eye. When we suffer well, we become a spectacle for God's glory. Do you believe that? When we suffer well, we become a spectacle for God's glory. Bringing purpose to our pain and honour to our Heavenly Father. And I want to finish by shooting right to the end of 1 Peter. Peter has been writing this letter to Christians who are suffering. And this is how he finishes his letter. And the God of all grace, after you have suffered a little while, will restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. What a powerful way for Peter to finish his letter. I'm going to read that again. Because this is... God's word for you. And the God of grace, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. Now, no one said it was going to be easy. It's not. But what a wonderful hope we have that as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, who suffered when he least deserved it, The hope we have is that it is not lost and that Christ can turn it into something wonderful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we would love it if you made everything comfortable and painless in our life. And we thank you that you often do. But today we've been challenged and reminded that you do bring suffering into our life. And we can't cope, Lord, without you. Use that suffering so it's not wasted, Lord, so that we become closer to you and transform to be more like Jesus. Help us to suffer well so that we can be a witness to those around us who see something of the beauty of Jesus as we struggle. Thank you, Lord, that we never struggle alone, that you are our hope, our glory, and our strength, and our suffering is not forever, but there will come a time when you will relieve us and replace it with great joy, peace, love, and great acceptance. We pray this through Jesus' name. Amen.